Hello again. This is Indie Beat. My name is Christopher Jason Bell. Call me Chris. Thanks again for tuning in. Today I am with friend, fellow filmmaker, Jennifer Pong. Hello, Jennifer. Hi, Chris. How are you? I was wondering, can I call you Jen? Of course you can call me Jen. Hell Most yeah. people call me Jen. Well, here we go. So you have made a couple of movies and you have this big, great movie that I love and that a ton of other people love called Advantageous. This Thank is all you. true. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't sure if you were pausing, sorry. Yeah, I'm not going anywhere with this. Um, okay. Yeah, just Thanks a little. For watching. Oh, totally, yeah. Um, this is on Netflix, correct? Yes, it is streaming on Netflix. Netflix acquired the movie at Sundance 2015. Awesome. Yes, very accessible people, so please do watch it. Um, But before we get into that movie specifically, I want to start off things from the beginning. So, Jen, how did you get into film, and what kept you going? I got into film through cameras. Uh, I started messing around with cameras in high school, and acting, you know, messing around with actors and acting. Um, In college, I got serious. I took a bunch of classes, fell in love with the process. I loved working with other people. I loved telling stories. I loved making pretty pictures and, you know, kind of creating images that in some way I thought were powerful or interesting. And I kept going. Um, And, you know, I think the thing that was kind of amazing was that my mom, who happens to be a Vietnamese immigrant, um, she kind of empowered me. She and my dad, you know, said, you know, you can do whatever you want. You know, we've made a lot of sacrifices to get here, and we are doing this for you to have as much freedom as you can. So we want you to do whatever you want. Just be really awesome at it. Um, so that meant that was a lot. That was a very motivational thing to to say. It's like you have freedom, but you have to be really good. So, so I just tried and tried and tried and tried. Um, and and I yeah. So I, I'd say that behind all of it, my mom and dad kept me going, just in terms of their you know emotional support, um, and also, you know, collaborating and connecting with a lot of great filmmakers over. The course of my career kept me going. It, it kind of legitimized um, my path. It legitimized the art form and, and the professional angle of it, the, the career angle. Um, I, and I got a lot of support all, all the way through with you know, even professors, film school professors and, and college professors. They said, you know, you might have something going. You might, have, you might be on to something. And so that, I think it's just a lot of, a lot of that. Um, positive reinforcement that keeps you going. So I've no, I've seen Advantageous, obviously, and, and some of your other projects, and they all like have like a, they at least dabble in sci-fi. I'll say that. Um, besides, like the obvious draws to sci-fi, like you personally, what brings you to that? To like always have that kind of element, as vague as that is, as a part of your stories. I think that I, when I was a little kid, I really loved these fantasy books. Um, 
there was one author, an English writer, who went by the name of Emma Dwighton, and she had this book called The Enchanted Wood, and it was about these five kids, who, or four kids, who went to the top of this tree, and the tree was a path to another world, and the world would change every time you went to the top of the tree. So I think I got really seduced by the idea of escaping to alternate realities. And sci-fi um, allows for that sometimes, and also brings a tech element to it, and sometimes justifies it with science, and also brings some really interesting aesthetics. Um, another project, another film I really love is called um, Ghost in the Shell, weird and cool and beautiful um, and kind of terrifying. And uh, I think that kind of kicked it off. It was that and Blade Runner and some other cool anime I've seen. They kind of have sci-fi, they have fantasy, they have sci-fi fantasy. Um, you know, I'm not just interested in sci-fi, I'm also interested in other weird films like you know, metaphysical films. Metaphysical films, you know, Lord of the Rings style films, Dungeons and Dragons style, you know, films with dragons. Um, but, but, I, but I, you know, I, I think maybe sci-fi was doable, you know, on um, on an indie budget, and it was easy for me to um, create that world and also make it relatable to issues that. I mean, it was easy for me to to invent a world, you know, build on that world, and also embed issues that I was interested in inside sci-fi stories. That's crazy. I can't wrap my head around that. That's like, oh, man, oh, advantageous is like so, I don't know how you did it. It's, I can't believe, not you personally pulled that off, it's just like, it's so above what I can imagine doing um, for an indie film. Uh, so, mad kudos. Oh, yeah. it, took, it took a lot of people, you know, much like it takes a lot of people for other films that are pretty ambitious, a lot of, a lot of collaboration. <laughs> mm. So, your first feature was Half-Life. Can you briefly give us the plot synopsis and then maybe want to tell us why you did it. Sure, I'll certainly try. Uh, it's about a young boy named Timothy who lives in suburbia um, in a post-climate changed world. So it means that, like, in the San it takes place in the San Francisco Bay Area, but the waters have risen um, to the point where, um, you know, things have changed and we're kind of in a post-apocalyptic world or pre-apocalyptic world. There's like a kind of suburban malaise everywhere anyway. Like people just keep doing what they're doing. And and so his family is just keep they keep on keep on keeping on. And his mother is starting to date this young has a young boyfriend. And he has this older sister who's about like thirteen years older than him or something. And um they've been abandoned by their father for some mysterious reason. And it's just about him observing his family kind of deconstruct a little bit, um, with this incursion of this like kind of young boyfriend who, who starts to disrupt the family dynamic and at some point he kind of has to act out and he also has these kind of breakaway fantasies that are animated and he goes into these fantasies and dreams of something 
And he, he has these prophecies that are a little bit apocalyptic. Like, he has prophecies of, like, a, of a jellyfish, you know, kind of swallowing the sun and swallowing the earth and all this, and, and you know, him, swallowing him. And his, his sister also has this, these kinds of dreams that are animated um, that pertain to large animals in the ocean kind of reacting to um, a, an impending apocalypse. So it's, it's this really crazy, fantastical, mixed-media family drama <laughs> that has sci-fi under, underpinnings and fantastical overtones. What made you want to explore that story in particular? I was really young when I made it, and in my 20s, and I wrote it in my 20s, early 20s. And um, I was, you know, I have a little brother, and he kind of inspired me because it was kind of fun to watch, you know, because our dynamic is such that I was older, I was much older than him, and so I was kind of like a second mom in a way. Um, and, and so to be able to kind of observe someone grow up when I'm kind of a teenager already, um, was, you know, was, was a lot of inspiration. Um, there's a lot of inspiration. So I'd watch him watch the news and, and kind of take in kind of the horrors of the world through the news. And, um, I was really interested in, in kind of where, of the point, tipping point for, of our innocence. So, you know, at what point do we realize that the world is kind of crappy? And how do we decide to act in the face of these realities? And what if we had more power than most kids do and we're able to kind of rearrange reality in our own, um, in our own way so that we made things better for ourselves? That's a very selfish way of looking at it, but, uh, you know, kids can prob are probably a little bit more selfish in some ways than, than others. Um, and so, yeah, and I think my, maybe I just wanted to kind of uh, I wanted to look at, at, at the world through, through a young person's eyes. But the film had, was definitely in danger of throwing everything in the, everything into it, like everything I was concerned about into it. Like I want to say, it's a saying like kitchen sink film, you know? Um, but it but I think I managed to kind of pull back in the edit. I was like, oh, okay, I don't have to talk about everything. Um, I can save that for my other films. And what was, as your first feature, how was it? How was it? Like, what? how was the process like after, you know, doing all the shorts? It was fun and really magical. I think that I'm a much better director now than I was then. Um, but... But I think I did a pretty good job. Um, you know, we shot on Super 16. And, and that, I think, was both great and terrible. Because the cost was... The cost, you know, we were making independent film, and this, it was really stressful to, get, to be like... to be thinking about feet going by. Um, and at the same time, it made... It made a really beautiful film, so um, so yeah, it was kind of a mixed thing. Yeah, also at the time too, wasn't that kind of only your like your only option in terms of like even using digital cameras? 
Yeah, the digital cameras were were just as expensive as yeah. the digital workflow was. Yeah, comparable to film. So I think that was the argument. Mm. Um, but you could also make the argument that you want to be free to improvise or take more, have more takes, and not worry about buying more canisters of film. You know. Uh, and shipping them to you, <laughs> um, and like having them shipped from like LA or something. Um, so it, it's the logistics of it, which really shouldn't matter, um, but do when you're at any level. Yeah. So next was advantageous, ladies and gentlemen, and this was a short beforehand. Um, was this? something you kind of cleaved out of the feature script and then did the short and then that generated interest that allowed you to make the feature? It was more organic than that. I, I was um, asked by ITVS to, to make up, to pitch something, right? And I pitched something and that thing was a little bit too risque for their taste. So they asked me to pitch something else. And so I quickly pitched something else and that was advantageous, the short. Um, and, you know, what was fun was, I don't know, what was fun was that I felt inspired. I was working with my collaborator at the time, Moon Molson, and, you know, I was able to just kind of like throw ideas at him and, and, and you know, get feedback and all that. And then he just made it really fast. They wrote it really quickly. And I, I worked with ITVS directly. They were great. And um, we just put it together and shot it. And we survived a, a hurricane. We continued shooting it. And then um, the process was wonderful. Jacqueline Kim was, just brought so much beauty and nuance to her character. That, it was just it was so inspiring to us. And then Samantha Kim, too. Like, it was her first film, but she and Jacqueline had this tremendous dynamic. And um, it was, they just had this great chemistry together as mother and daughter. They're both extremely talented in so many different ways. It's ridiculous. They both play the trumpet. They're great dancers. They're great singers um, and great actors. And so they were a perfect match for each other. And it just felt magical. And from that magic, you know, I, I started to question whether or not I should expand it because you know, Jacqueline's performance isn't wasn't um, going to be in a short, like it wouldn't, it wouldn't be honored in a short in a short format as much as it could have been, and so um, so I said, I said, "Hey, Jacqueline, do you, would you like to um, come on and expand this into a feature with me?" And she'd been really um, really collaborative in the short, and you know, brought her own thoughts in terms of the writing, and brought her own thoughts, um, and and that's and that was exciting to me, and her energy was exciting to me. And I also, Samantha Kim's mother, Mina Kim, um, she just, in the middle of our shooting, as I was going, oh, I wonder if this should be a feature because all the, a lot of this beautiful stuff is going to be on the cutting room, room floor. She turns to me and she goes, you know, you might be onto something. I think this is really, really important. This subject is so important. It's going to mean a lot to a lot of people. I think you really, you know, you should really consider it. So with that kind of, affirmation and encouragement I, I I went I took the short to my producer from one of my producers from uh, one of my investors from Half-Life and said would you be interested in evolving this with me because he had wanted to work with me again and 
And so we just went on and we decided to do that. I mean, we just, at first we were going to just make a small kind of expansion of the short, but as, as our team got bigger and we got involved with Richard Wong, you know, um, who was, who became my DP and he's known for some, for some great indies like Cone of the Musical and, and Teresa Navarro, you know, they just, we, you know, they, they brought a lot to, to, to the project in, in terms of saying, you know, we're, I know we're working with a small budget, but we should do be service to this project. Um, don't, don't sell yourself short. And so we just kind of kept raising money um, and, and kind of going for it. And once, once I had that energy and, and I saw that, that it was going well, I was able to even up, you know, raise the bar on the visual effects side as well. Um, so every part of the process was collaborative, you know. Every part of it was like, okay, you're kind of testing, you're talking to people, you're getting feedback, you're, um, you're you know, you're by yourself and you're thinking um, obsessively about things. And then, uh, and then you're kind of bringing those ideas to other people and, and, and kind of trying to elevate all of it together. You know... I keep up with, to an extent, uh, indie film news and film news in general. And, um, you know, there are listicles and stuff like that. And, you know, sometimes you see the same guy, like, oh, you know, enough of this guy. But a smile crosses my face whenever I see Jennifer Pong, Advantageous. And I see it a lot. And I think that's amazing. I you know, it's really hard to make such an impression that you keep getting talked about like that. And you're like, name keeps popping up. Um, so, yeah, I love it. I mean, how has this journey been, like, since premiered till now? I'm so delighted that the film had an impact at all. Um, we didn't know, you know, I, I kind of, I knew I loved the process. I knew I loved the story and I love the people we were working with and maybe that's that's a good sign um but but I did not necessarily know to expect the Sundance Award the Spirit nomination all that and, and the Netflix acquisition did not know to expect all of that and um you know the process of getting a film out into the world is is pretty stressful um if if you're a small film, um, but but the reward on the side of the, in terms of like the response from the audience has been pretty pretty awesome. Just just being able to interact with complete strangers from around the world that was the one super cool benefit of having a Netflix kind of day and day premiere um, was that it was launched in you know in all Netflix territories at the same time. And so we would be getting feedback from random places like yeah, Australia, Taiwan, Japan. Just getting the German enthusiasm, the Finnish enthusiasm, the Norwegian enthusiasm, uh, Brazilian. We get a lot of Brazilian enthusiasm. <laughs> um, but but that, that is cool for me because, like, I mean, the sense of having international resonance is, is, is on one hand very, very, you know, I can take some pride in that. And on another level, they, this was kind of intended to be a bit of an impact film. We were exploring issues of, of 
I felt were relevant to myself and to women and people like my mom and, you know, other women that I've watched and observed in my life, you know, seen kind of their suffering and, um, and you know, the state of women, of women, you know, it's, it's always been something that's bothered me. Um, so, so having the feedback come from that, you know, through, come from, come through Twitter, come through, you know, emails and, um, and also just people wanting to program the film. And it's so funny, it's just, the film has slowly trickled out, you know, to, to all these different people in different countries. And, um, and so, yeah, still today, after I think two years, it's still, people are still discovering it and going, oh my God, this is really important. So, I mean, I, I feel really bad to having to like say all that myself, you know, but it's, it's just, um, it's kind of a, you know, I hopefully not my, my last best, you know, event in my life, but definitely it's a strong, it's a big high for me just in terms of saying, okay, something that was really important to me is important to other people, other women and men. And it's a great, and, and the film is doing service in that it's helping contribute to the conversation about how we see ourselves in our societies. Thinking about like, uh, like Netflix controversy and, you know, at con and stuff like that. Um, I think it's awesome that it just like for, for your film and for you that it got it to people that, you know, if someone else had taken it or, or whatever, like you might not have gotten to that country, you know, it, it put it there and it allowed people to see it. it cut the bullshit of like, well, we can't market like this kind of movie, like in this country, like put it here. It cut all that out. And then it, it gave it for people. It gave it to people for them to find. And, and they did. And there's a, there's an audience for that film that you did. And I think that's, that's great. That's definitely like, you know, high fives all around the room for Netflix <laughs> in, in that respect. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I definitely empathize with all the concerns and the controversies. I mean, there, there are different ways that the film could have launched, but, um, but, but yes, the ultimately there is, it did cut through a lot of the, the, it jumped those hurdles, um, in a way that was efficient and appropriate to, to our film. Mm. Um, but yes, there are other ways. <laughs> Lately, you've been uh, directing television. Yeah. Um, I, you are still the only person I know who has done that that I, that I can talk to. Um, and uh, all right, you know, I'm going to assume that listeners also don't know anybody else. So, you know, like as a filmmaker, as like you know, audiences who are like interested in film and maybe filmmakers, can you speak a little bit about? Um, what that means in general of like, so you've directed an episode of the exorcist and you direct an episode of major crime and possibly other things that I don't know about or can't talk about, but in general, can you talk about, uh, working on a television show? Uh, sure. I can. Yes. It's it, the, you know, I've been saying the word collaboration like all my life and especially in this podcast. And, uh, and that is also, are relevant to, to to television directing, because as a as a kind of guest director, you're there to bring 
great visual ideas and support for your actors um, to a, a pre-existing project. And I've had the, the joy and fortune, and will continue to probably have the joy and fortune working in the first season of a, of an, of a TV show. And, and what's interesting about that is that you, are, you end up being part of defining a little bit the series, right? Um, so in the sense of that's that's a little bit more like filmmaking in the indie sense. Um, you're you're making stuff up. Um, you're not necessarily always like kind of fitting into someone else's um, uh, established template. And that and even on films in their second and third season, you also might be you know inventing too. But but you know it kind of depends on the show. Um, so I'd say that when you talk to a television director about episodic directing, what they'll probably say, what they can say is, you know, if, if as a guest director, you're kind of a guest in someone else's home, and so they want you to bring some cool ideas, but they don't want you to, like, kind of disrupt the entire family. Um, and so, so that's something to keep in mind, and I'm happy to do that. It, it actually eliminates a lot questions um it's a but what's really exciting for me is that i get to try things without having the stakes you know when you write and direct your own indie feature the stakes seem really high because it's all about you and your vision and being judged later and then the critics or whatever or the box office or something when and then the same thing applies in, in tv and you know you need to del deliver an effective show but what's really important is that you're serving the story, um, you're serving the writers, you're serving the actors, and, and, and your role is there, and it's defined. It's not, you're not necessarily remembered as much for being the director on this particular episode. It's, it's more about the show as a whole and, and your participation in, in, in elevating that show as necessary or, or just delivering the show in a way that, that excites you. So, um, or I'm sorry, it's not just you. It's a way to, that excites you, but also hopefully excites everybody. Um, so, uh, so yeah, you're really kind of tapping into like, okay, what is it that's definitely important about this scene? You're continuously connecting with, you know, the, the onset writer to make sure that you know you're not missing anything. Um, if sometimes the you know actors have a very very established or strong idea of where they're going, and hopefully you're on board with that. Or if you're not, and you have a, another cool idea, you bring that to them if they're receptive to it. It kind of, it's a little, it kind of depends on the season, it kind of depends on the actors. Coming in, like, for the seventh season of The West Wing, for example, sounds like it, was there seven seasons? I don't know. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, at that point, you're, 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 you're kind of more camera-focused director, um, is my understanding. So it's, it, it, that's the fun of it is just trying to figure out, you know, what, what the show needs and, and kind of helping support the show when you get there. Um, yeah, the work that I'm going to be doing in the next year, I think will be a mix of all of that. And I'm really excited about them. I don't think I'm supposed to talk about them yet. Um, but I'm excited because they're all really well-written shows and they're beautifully shot i'm so excited <laughs> yeah i guess um common thought would be like if you get 
on to later seasons, you're sort of in autopilot, and then earlier, that's not the case. Um, you know, which is probably like a crude way to say it. Yeah, I mean, I would, yeah, I definitely would think that people would kind of say, depends on the show, right? There are some shows that don't want you to mess things up or mix, mix things up even. Um, and some shows that do, they want you to, you know, in major crimes, they, they, they actually do like to push and grow the form. It is a procedural of sorts, but, but they want to keep things interesting for their audience. So they're bringing in, they were bringing in new directors to kind of try new things. And um, because the show has been on for a long time, and they want to keep it interesting for their audience. And I think that's great. I think that's, um, that's a smart way of going about it. And, and then there are other shows where, you know, the audience knows what, wants to know, um, wants to get what they expect. <laughs> and, and they're more concerned with, like, the mystery of the week, you know, or the, the crime of the week. And, and, and that's what matters. And I totally respect that. But either way, I mean, a lot, all those directors who are coming in, even in later s- seasons, they're, they are trying to put their stamp on it a little bit, you know, like, because the stunts are different, the locations are different, the crime is different, and so it's really about making sure that that stuff's com- as compelling as can be. Well, it's good to hear that it's not super restrictive, because that's but, also a, a takeaway. Like from the little I've read or like know about it, it's like it does feel like like you're not the main boss, where you would be like obviously on your own film. Yeah, and that's and then in some way that's liberating, you know, because. Because, I don't know, it's a little liberating because then, you know, you have a lot of people to work with to kind of figure out where best, where it's best to put your time and energy. And so the logistics people are kind of there looking over your shoulder, making sure that, you know, you're not blowing all your resources in one spot, if that's what you're hopefully not inclined to do. But, you know, if, if it's, it's, it's all a collaboration, it's all a great conversation. And for all the sets I've been on and, and, and worked on, you know, I think it's a joyful process as long as, um, you know, people are so excited about the show. So you're going to be doing more of this. Does it interfere with, um, or with your like personal projects of like movies you want to make and stuff like that? I don't see it that way. And I think the reason that I kind of got into it was because I, I felt that there would be some room for what I wanted. It's a steady, a way to get steady income and also a way to kind of, um, get your reps in, as my agent puts it, you know, you know, just basically get better as a filmmaker and time management and, and get better at working with directors, get better at working with different kinds of equipment, different budget levels, different schedules, different environments. You know, it's, it's a way to keep, keep your, keep training um, so that you can be, just be more, be a more dynamic director. And the shows that I'll be working on, you know, I'll be working with a lot more visual effects even and a lot of fights. It will help me with my personal work um, because I'll I'll have even more experience in, that, in certain areas. But you know, in in between these um, jobs and in advance of these jobs, I'm spending time on my my own work, the writing side, the developing side. I think I think I, you know I don't think of my career as like I can only be doing my own like personal projects, and that's how I'll just be awesome. I think of it in a more holistic way of like, you know, I'll get satisfaction if I'm, if my next most ambitious work will be even, will even be closer to what I want because I've 
had this kind of experience, if that makes sense. So, yeah, it's just a, a less linear way of looking at your ambition or your, your aspiration, I guess. Um, and instead go, okay, instead I'm going, um, I, I want to keep telling stories and I want to find other ways to tell stories. So I feel good. I feel really good right now about what's happening. What are some things, films and not films, that inspire you today that you pull from for your work? What's really fun is that it keeps changing because so much cool stuff is out there right now. Um, you know, back in the day, a lot of my work was influenced by David Lynch um, and Ang Lee. I know it's a weird combo to say both David Lynch and Ang Lee influenced me, but they did. It's absolutely true, and you can actually see that in my work. But, um, you know, and, and so actually just yesterday I started re -watch, watching the new Twin Peaks, and then I was like, yeah, <laughs> there it is. It's back. Um, and I've also been watching American Gods. Um, finally discovered that. Um, also excited about all the cool stuff they're doing in that, writing-wise and shooting-wise. You know, and there was a period where Linklater had a huge influence. So I, I just, I'm, my only, my big flaw is that I'm responsive to a lot of different kinds of, different kinds of work. And I guess maybe that's also okay in that it kind of all collects into my own whatever palette, my own, my own little, my own aesthetic. But, um, but yeah, I can't point to a single filmmaker right now and go, oh my gosh, that's my guy. That's my woman. I, I, I'd, I can point to a collective, you know, collective of people like Suzanne Beer um, and uh, I was rewatching Happy Together, so Wong Kar Wai. I go to museums a lot when I need to write. Um, so I look at paintings and sculptures and they kind of get me in the, in the mood. Um, certain natural environments will inspire me, like uh, bodies of water, <laughs> uh, creatures. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, there are a lot, I'm definitely, I'm definitely into nature's aesthetics as applied to science fiction. It's really fun to find a way to um, bring the, you know, dynamics in nature into sci-fi, in you know, in a, into the technology. I did that a lot in Advantageous. Um, like, look at jellyfish, for example, and using jellyfish as an inspiration for the headpiece. Um, you know, in the writing side of it, and also in just imagining things. I mean, for sure, it's it's seeing the way people interact and how power works. I'm really fascinated with power. Um, and when I say power, you know, depending on who I speak to, it kind of can confuse the conversation. But when I say power, I just mean ability, ability to, to live your life in a way that's free from someone else's will being put upon you. You know, so power and freedom to me are close to each other, not power over people, but power to actually live freely. Um, and so, so yeah, I'm fascinated with power dynamics and, and, and acquiring freedom or acquiring power. 
I, so, I, so that's why like advantageous happened is because I felt like women were disempowered. I personally like to explore the way that people in power manipulate with language because I think that's that does a lot to shape our society and our world sometimes in a not so great way. What a note to um, end on. I know, man, I'm such a bummer. Like, <laughs> I, always, I always, like, get super serious at some point. Like, yeah, I'm comedy. Um, no, it's okay. Yeah. It was great. Um, but, yeah, I'll let you go. We've been talking a long time, and I had a lot of fun. I hope you did. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Great time. Um, all right. Great so, talking. You rule. Ah, you rule. Thanks. <laughs> Bye. IndieB and all the playlist podcasts are sponsored by Mubi, a curated online cinema streaming a selection of exceptional, independent, classic, and award-winning films from around the globe. Mubi's film experts handpick every single film they show. Each day they present a new gem, and you have one month to watch it. Visit mubi.com slash the playlist to start your special 30-day free trial. Regular people would only get a 7-day free trial, so this is the real deal, people. You can do $5.99 a month or $47.99 for a full year. Movie is available via web or on any of your other favorite devices, such as Apple TV, Samsung Smart TVs, Roku, PlayStation. So pause your game of Bonk's Adventure and watch some films, sonnies. Mubi is a global platform, but programming is customized per country. Some highlights Mubi is now showing in the U.S. of A. Scarred Hearts by Romanian New Wave director Radu Jude, director of the award-winning Aferim. John Schlesinger's first masterpieces. These are his first three movies. He's known for Midnight Cowboy and Marathon Man. The Happiest Day in the Life of Ali Maki Returns, which is a boxing flick but also a charming love story. Last, but especially not least, is The Republic. It is movie's July 4th film. It is by James N.K. Wilkins, who is a Whitney Biennial 2017 selected artist. It's kind of a unique film. It is... Film, theater, radio, podcasts, and gallery installations all rolled into one happy package. You have to see it to believe it, so please do check it out, my friends. I'm going to be straight with you. That does it for this week's episode. Please do come back again and listen to more. Listen to our old hits, listen to our new hits, and also check out every single other podcast on the playlist, Podcast Network, because they're all fantastic and we're family, and that's how you got to be. So, thank you again for listening. Give us a nice review and tell all your friends, every single one of them. You must tell them and I'll know if you didn't. Okay, kidding. I have no idea how I would find out that kind of information. But take care. Have a good night. Good day. Bye.